0: Welcome to the Vine Church Podcast. This week we've got a great speaker. Hope you enjoy it. When we, when we talk about evangelism, we're typically freaked out at the idea, if we're honest. It's, and In our minds, we instantly have the, the picture of kind of the, the awkward conversation at the door where the person knocks the door and says, oh, I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. So the, let me just tell you about two guys who were doing that. They were out and they were knocking doors and trying to get into conversations about faith. And uh, they, they knock one particular guy's door, uh, and, and a lady answers, and she says, I am not interested in your religion. And she slams the door shut, but the door bounces back open again. So she thinks, the cheeky little rascal, they put the foot in the door. So she slams it shut again, and it bounces back open. Again. And she, she goes down the hallway, and she's about to do a runner, going to shoulder barge the door. And as she's running towards it, The guy said, ma'am, ma'am, before you do that, you might wanna move your cat. sorry, you might wanna move your, your cat's in the door, (laughs) so sorry. Don't clap, that's not a good story. Uh, But we freaked out at the idea of, you know, kind of going public with our faith. And when we think evangelism, we often think of that, and that's just too big a jump for us. So let me kind of lower the bar, but actually let me raise the bar, but let me lower the bar. Let me try and do everything I can this morning to help equip you folks to become effective in sharing your faith. Here's the statistic, Uh, if this thing works, here we go. Less than 2%, according to Greater Europe Mission, of people living in Europe know Jesus personally. That's not church attenders, that's people who are actively following Jesus, people who are reading their Bibles, who have a relationship with God. And hey, by the way, you might be here today and you're not yet in that place. So thrilled you're here. You might not be there yet with God. Maybe you're not, you haven't got that live connection with him. Good news is that he knows you. And today, you can get to know him. And I'll give you that opportunity at the end of when I finish sharing. But that's the, that's the reality. Two percent of people living in the UK and all across Europe know Jesus personally. Now, 2,000 years ago, Jesus, at the end of his three years incredible ministry, He died on the cross for our sins, resurrected on the third day. And then after a period of time, he he met with his disciples and appeared to them and he finally, the final things that Jesus said as he was leaving them was a great commission. And it's in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 and it says this, all authority, in fact you can read it with me. One, two, three, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go And make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Authority. Jesus said all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You think about that for a moment. No human being in their right minds could make such a claim. No human being could claim that. All authority in heaven and on earth. No mere human being could make such a claim. To make such a claim, you'd have to be God's and man. And the good news is that Jesus is fully God's and fully man. And having conquered Satan's sin and death, on the cross, he declares, and he's absolutely true, that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. He said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, and to be honest, he could pretty much say anything because he has all authority, all right? The same one who said, Lazarus come forth and the dead men came out. Same man who said to the blind eyes, be opened. In fact, the same one who at the very beginning of creation spoke and there was light and there was vegetation and there was a planet. He could literally have just said anything and it would be guaranteed to happen. He went on to say, go make disciples. I'm not wondering, are we gonna succeed in our mission as a church? Because the one with all authority has commissioned us. Isn't that interesting? We have absolute assurance as we go. We have the backing of all authority. Furthermore, we have full authority on earth. He has full authority in the heavens and he has full authority on the earth. And he's saying, I give you full authority in this earth to go anywhere. So I understand that the government of Iran might say, no, no, you can't speak about Jesus here. Or some schools might put restrictions up. Or some people might say, no, you can't talk to me about God or in this workplace. But with respect, The one with full authority has given us authority in his earth to go anywhere. There's no no no-go areas. No person you can't speak to, no street corner you can't stand on, no person you can't engage with with the news about Jesus because he who has all authority over this whole earth has commissioned you to go into his earth. There's no no no-go areas. So how are we to do this? Well, we've got to be clear first of all on the message. What is your message? If we're going to go and make disciples, what's the message we're bringing? Let let me just do everything I can to try and make the message clear. So there was a guy on an aeroplane, and uh, he was sitting down on the aeroplane, and an air hostess comes up to him and says, "Sir, I'd like you to put on this bright yellow parachute." And he and he says, "Well." why? And he said, well, soon, everyone's going to be wearing a bright yellow parachute. It's going to be the next in thing. And when you put it on, you're going to feel so good about yourself. Your, your confidence will go through the, through the roof. You're going to feel so self-fulfilled. Oh, it's going to be great. And hey, if there's any problems in the plane, you'll be fine. And he says, okay, that sounds great. So he puts on this bright yellow parachute. When he puts it on, he realizes that actually it's a little bit more comfortable, uncomfortable sitting in a seat with a bright yellow parachute on than it was before he had the bright yellow parachute on. But he thought, that's okay, because soon everyone's gonna be wearing bright yellow parachutes, and I feel so good with my bright yellow parachute on. Eventually, after a while, he noticed that no one else on the plane's wearing bright yellow parachutes. In fact, everyone else on the plane is pointing at him and whispering, there's a guy wearing a bright yellow parachute. And he starts getting really paranoid and thinking, why the heck am I wearing a bright yellow parachute? So after a while a peer pressure and his mind builds up and he takes off the bright yellow parachute saying, stuff this, scenario number two. There's a guy sitting in an airplane and a lady comes up to him, a hostess, and says, excuse me, sir, I have a bright yellow parachute for you. The plane's going down. You need to wear the bright yellow parachute. By the way, while you've got on, you might well feel good about yourself. So he puts on the bright yellow parachute. He no longer cares how uncomfortable it is sitting in that seat with the bright yellow parachute on. In fact, he doesn't care if anyone else is pointing at him or sniggering. He's just been given a lifeline. He knows the plane's going down this isn't a lifestyle choice for him. This isn't a kind of cool new thing he's doing. This is absolutely a lifeline that he's been given and he nothing is going to make, no peer pressure is going to make him take off that bright yellow parachute. So you understand the gospel message we're bringing the message of life we're bringing isn't just a come to Jesus and he'll give you a happier life and does he give you happiness absolutely does he give you joy you bet even through the toughest of times but we're, our message is actually far more fundamental it's this plague is going down baby you need a bright you need Jesus in your life you you as we as human beings are lost Only one died for us to save us. He's called Jesus Christ. He died for our sins, rose again on the third day, and trusting in Jesus, you can escape death. Like Henry, 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 like Henry. Let's hear it for the God who saves people from death. He's amazing. That's our message. That's our message. Now, how are we gonna share this message in a way that engages people, and very simply, I've got three points for you. Can you guess what they are? Oh, you're so good, folks. Yeah. So pray, say with me. Pray, care, share. So point number one is pray. Um the apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 3. He says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow. An unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. The Apostle Paul says, I'm telling you the truth. Now you see, when we read this verse, he's saying, I wish that I myself was cut off from Christ for the sake of my kinsmen. He's talking about the Jewish people, his fellow Jewish people. I wish that I myself was cut off from Christ if, if it was possible by me getting cut off from Christ that they could be saved. Now you think cut off from Christ. I cannot think of anything more eternally devastating than being cut off from Christ. No, not so. And I think, I, I kind of see that and I think, Paul, we think you must have just been saying that for effect. I mean, You're just saying that to make a point, cut off from Christ. But Paul anticipates we're going to think that, and he starts by saying, I'm telling you the truth. My conscience confirms it. Literally, Paul would be willing eternally to be cut off from Christ if it was at all possible for other people to find Christ. And I think, wow, does that describe us? That ache, that absolute ache in our hearts, that people would get to know God. And then I kind of look at Paul and we look at Paul and we see him going from place to place, relentlessly sharing, telling, taking every opportunity he could, being stones, being thrown in prison, being rejected, causing riots. Went from place to place, just relentlessly, not quitting. And I kind of think, I think he meant that. I think he really believed that. There was such an urgency in Paul's soul that just gave him an ache for the people in his community, for the people in the cities he was ministering. And God wants you to catch this ache. He wants you to feel it, not just know, oh, yeah, you trust in Jesus and you're gonna be okay. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to really feel it and have a love and an ache in your heart for people in Dunfermline and all across Fife who don't yet have a relationship with the Jesus who's saved your soul. And that's where, it, that's where the prayer comes from. You know D.L. Moody, he was a famous evangelist, uh, he describes uh, his prayer life and every day D.L. Moody, this amazing American evangelist, every day he would pray for a hundred people who didn't know God and he had a list of them. Friends, family members, people he knew from work, previous work associates, people he just bumped into, random happenings, meetings with people he met in shops and he kept a record of all of their names that every day Every day of his life, he prayed for the saving of their souls. The amazing testimony of D.L. Moody is that by the time he died, 96 of those 100 people had come to faith in Jesus. Isn't that incredible! And then, at his funeral, at his funeral, the remaining four gave their lives to Jesus at the funeral. Isn't that cool? So, prayer. Everyone can do this. Well, maybe not 100 names a day. You gotta tell God about your neighbors before you tell your neighbors about God. So here's my suggestion, let's lower the bar. Let's go for five names, all right? Can you think of five people you know? Five people, and maybe these are five people you can just lift before God every day. If you take a minute to pray for each of them, that's what, five minutes a day for the saving of souls? Five people. If you all pray for five people, we've already impacted hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in Dunfermline, Fife and beyond. So why don't you, in fact, take a moment, write them down. Write down the names of five people you know. Family members, write them down. Friends, come on, put them down, write them down on the list. Work colleagues, maybe it's the the coffee shop you go to, it's one of the baristas you wanna pray for. Who are the five people? And just let your heart ache for them. And As you're praying for them, pray God, not just pray for their souls to be saved, pray God give me opportunities to tell them. How many people know that it's a whole lot easier if they ask you a few questions rather than you having to start the conversation? You know, if, if they ask you a few questions, God, let them ask some questions that leads to me saying things that are gonna help them, right? So pray. How many people reckon they can pray for five people a day? I think that's doable. In fact, let's just close our eyes just now, just, just under your breath, just pray for those five people. Just close your eyes and just pray for those five people you know who are away from God. Maybe they're prodigals like uh, the Triple O s- that s- sang about. Maybe they're people who used to have faith. Just pray, God save these people. Save their souls. Just see their faces in your mind's eye and pray for the saving of their souls. In Jesus' name, amen. So pray. Point number two is care. Um, there was a young sales rep one day, went to sales manager, and it, it, was a, it was a bad day because he just lost the big sale. And he went to sales manager and said, it just, it just goes to show, you know, like they say, you can lead the horse to the water, but you can't make him drink. And the sales manager said to him, son, take my advice, your job is not to make him drink, your job is to make him thirsty. And I guess my question is, is, is our lives, are our lives making people thirsty for God? Uh, there was a man by the name of Doug Nichols. He was the director of Action International, and he was, on a, <coughs> he was overseeing missionaries, but he himself was a missionary. And he spent a huge stint of time in India, and, and he, he was out there as a Western missionary in India desiring to help people come to faith. And uh, when he was out there, he was hit with tuberculosis. And uh, back in the day, you know, that, 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 was a, that was a pretty disastrous thing for someone to be hit with. And he was taken into a, a local sanitarium where he had to spend months and months uh, away from the public and recovering from this tuberculosis. He was so frustrated, not just because he was sick, but he was so frustrated because he had a burning desire to be in among the population of the Indian people telling them about Jesus. And so to be put kind of to the, on the shelf for a period of time was incredibly frustrating. So he was in the sanitarium and, and he, was, he was suffering along with the other people who were suffering. And he figured, well, if I'm gonna be here anyway, I may as well bring with me some of the John's Gospels I've got in the, in the local language so that at least I can maybe get an opportunity to share my faith with people in the sanitarium. But even that was a failure because people just saw him as a Western influence, a Western missionary. We don't want you to bring your Western religion to us. And they, they blanked him. They weren't interested in taking his literature. And so he was doubly frustrated. Not only was he in this bad situation, but no one was interested in listening to his message. Anyway, one night he woke up in a, having a coughing fit at kind of two o'clock in the morning. and. Uh, as he woke up, he noticed there was a man across the other side of the room. It was a big, large room with lots of people in it who were suffering. And this old, emaciated man was struggling to try and get out of his bed. And, and he had no strength in his arms, so he just flumped back in again. And struggling to get out of bed, and then slumped back in again with a huge sigh. And in the morning when, when Doug Nichols woke up, he said the stench in the, in the room was terrible. This guy had soiled himself. He hadn't, didn't have the strength to get himself to the toilet. And the nurse who came in in the morning, cleaning the place, and the, 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 she was aware of the stench, she cleaned the guy, and she slapped him for, for making such a mess. And uh, at, then, anyway, the next night, Doug Nichols again, in the middle of the night, woke, himself woke up coughing, and again, noticed this old, emaciated man trying to struggle to get out of bed again in the middle of the night. Doug Nichols was in a place of weakness himself, but he made it his way across the room to the guy. And leant over the guy, the guy is expecting to get a slap, but Doug Nichols picked him up, and again, being in the place of weakness himself, but managed to carry him to the toilet, helped him, and then took him back to his bed. And as he lowered him back into his bed, the, the old man leant up and kissed Doug Nichols on the cheek. And Doug Nichols went back to his bed and fell asleep. Next morning, Doug Nichols woke up, and he was woken up by one of the other patients bringing him a warm cup of tea and pointing at his John's Gospel and saying, could I have one? And that whole day, people came to him one after the other right through the day asking for copies of the John's Gospel. You see folks, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Your love makes a huge impact in people's lives. Say with me, pray. Pray. See when I say, say with me, that's your cue, right, folks? Okay, so let's try this again. Say with me, pray. pray. Say with me, care. care. You've got to care. you just got to pray for people that you do all you can just to just to love them. I remember, as Aaron said, we've been going planting the church in Edinburgh for a long time. We started the church 22 years ago. Uh, when I was 22, I've spent half my life planting a church. I'm 44, because 22 plus 22. Anyway. And when we just started the church, we were living in the city center, and we had a little parking space, and I had one of those Mark II Golf GTIs, one of the best cars in the world. And it was a sunny day, and I was cleaning my car. And uh, there was a, as I was cleaning the car in the sunshine, a, an Indian couple came around the corner, heavily laden with rucksacks and bags, and they started walking towards me. And I could see they were really struggling under the weight of their luggage. So I, I, I put my sponge back in the bucket and I went up to them and said, "Is there? can I help you? and they said, oh thank you so much, so I helped them carry their luggage and where are you going? and they pointed at my stairwell, so they said we're moving in there so I said, oh I'll be your neighbour and I pointed at my flat and I took them upstairs, helped them carry their luggage into the door and they said, thank you so much, we've been in the UK for two weeks they said and no one has shown us any kindness, uh, but we're so grateful to you for, for showing us kindness, we would like to invite you and your wife for a curry and I said well I would like to be invited for a curry so a few weeks later me and my wife went around for a curry and boy oh boy what a curry unbelievable honestly I experienced that curry for several days it was unbelievable I've never had such a hot curry in my life it was such a hot curry and in the middle of the curry they, they were asking me so what do you do and I said well I'm an architect but in the evenings I I've started a church. And they said, oh wow, we would like to come to your church. I said, well, I'd love you to come to my church. So the next Sunday, uh, this was when, maybe the church had 20, 30 people in it at that time. And I remember preaching uh, in a little primary school that we hired, and at the end of the message, like I'll do at the end of this message, I I gave people the opportunity, if they wanted to, say yes to God, and have Jesus be their savior. And I I gave them the opportunity, I prayed a prayer, and I said, if you prayed that prayer with me and you accepted Jesus as your savior, could you just raise your hands and let me know you prayed that prayer? And just at the back right of the hall, the Indian lady was there and she put her hand up. And, and afterwards when I was chatting to her, she said, Peter, when I prayed, it felt like electricity flowing right through my body. And from that point forward, they'd been Hindus. From that point forward, they said, your God is the true God. Now, they were only in Edinburgh for a short time. He was there on secondment with his work. Then they had to go back to India. How did that happen? Well, all I did was offered to carry their suitcases. How many people reckon they could help someone carry their suitcases? It's all you've got to do. It's not hard, right? I've just lowered the bar. You get to pray for people. You get to care for people. I remember one time I was traveling back from uh, Dublin. I'd been preaching at a church in Dublin, and it was getting the Sunday night flight back on Ryanair. And uh, lo and behold, it wasn't on time. It wasn't running on time. This is uh, not a good advert for Ryanair. And I, it, was, it was a long delay, and as a result, tons of who were hanging around the, the Dublin airport waiting for our departure. Anyway, we're all standing in this queue, and the guy behind me tapped me on the shoulder and said, um, he's standing with golf clubs and everything, he said, do you know when it is we, we're due to get into Glasgow Presswick? Because that's right outside of Glasgow. And I, th- I told him the time. I said, do you know what time the buses stop running from Glasgow to the city? And I said, I- I'm not sure. I think they probably finished by that point. So I said to him, hey, listen, how about my dad's picking me up. How about he gives you a lift as well? And the guy said, are you serious? He said, of course, no problem. My dad's driving that way anyway. So we can- I think he lived in Bishop Riggs. He said, oh, that's so kind of you. He said, well, what were you doing in Dublin? I said, well, I was-, I was preaching at a church. I was preaching at my friend's church. And I said, what were you doing? He said, I was playing golf. And that kind of killed the conversation right there. That was uh, all right. Anyway, <clears throat> we got on the plane eventually, and it was Ryan right there, and you could choose your seat, so it wasn't like you had earmarked seats. So I went and found my seat. A few minutes later, the guy comes on, and you could see him looking around. He spots me, and he comes over and sits down beside me. And so he sits down beside me, and he says, so listen, I was gonna ask you, you said you were preaching at your friend's church. I, I, what, what religion are you? I said, oh, I'm a Christian, yeah. I've been a Christian since I was 15. And he said, oh, that's great. What made you become a Christian, he said? I so, so I got to tell him about what made me become a Christian and how God changed my life. And he said, oh, that's fantastic. The plane takes off, and then he asked me another question. And so why was it that Jesus' death was so significant? And he just, honestly, the entire flight, one question, if, if you could have scripted it, all oh right. ask this question now, and you tell them this bit of the gospel, followed by you asking this question, you, you ask that question now, and then I'll tell you the next bit, it was like that, the entire journey, it was one question after the other, all the way, the whole journey, about God and about faith, I got to explain to him the entire message, and it not, not once did I force it down his throat, because he was asking the questions, he was one of the, do you remember Spitting Image, he was one of the script writers for Spitting Image, the, the TV program, but he said to me at the end of the flight and we, we, we gave him a lift back to Bishop Briggs and he said to me at the end of the flight, you know, before I got on this flight, I would have described myself as an atheist, but through talking to you, you've made me entirely reconsider my stance on faith and God. Isn't that cool? What did I do? I mean, so, so, all I did was offer him a lift in a car and it wasn't even my car. I offered him a lift in someone else's car. How many people could offer someone else a lift in someone else's car? I mean, seriously. We can all do this thing, right? It's just that simple, pray, care. Now, sometimes you're caring, so sometimes caring is something that you can do. Sometimes caring is something that you can't do, i.e. a miracle. Sometimes you're caring for someone, but you ain't got the resources to solve that problem. You need a miracle. That happens too. I remember I took my dad to a hearing appointment. Dad's 92, he hadn't been for a hearing test all his life, and he really needed to about 20 years ago. But anyway, we went for a hearing test. And we got to know the guy who was doing his hearing in boots in the guile. And and we got to know him over, he had hearing tests, and we got to know him over several months going back for various checkups and getting hearing aids fitted and so on. And he knew that I led a church. And so uh, he he said, on one occasion, he he had a collection of guitars, like really nice Les Paul Gibson, Les Paul electric guitars, different things like this, different collector, amazing guitars. And he said to me, uh, Peter, I'm selling my guitars. Would anyone in your church be want to buy them? Because he knows that all Christians play guitar. Okay, it's just that part. You become a Christian, you get a rainbow strap. You play guitar. It's just kind of that's how it goes. You know, you all know that. You're all guitarists. So, I, I, so he said, you might know someone in your church who wants to buy a guitar. I said, well, why are you selling your guitar collection? He said, I can't play anymore. I've got carpal tunnel syndrome in my hands, and so I can't grip. I, my hands are numb. I've got pain. Um, and I said, well, listen, how about this? How about me and my dad? Can we pray for you and ask God to heal your hands? And he said, oh, okay, that would be really kind. Thank you so much. And I, don't, I think he thought we were going to, all right, we'll go away and pray for you. But we just do what we would do. We just say, okay, let's pray. And so he just held us. I said, let's hold, give me your hands. And I said, all right, now, okay. So he gives you your hands. And we prayed and asked God to heal him. And anyway, two months later, we went back for the follow-up checkup. And, and he said that, you know, since that point, I have been absolutely pain-free in my hands, no numbness, no pain, able to play my guitars again. How good is that? How good is that? Pray, care. You can all do that. You can all pray for not 100, but maybe five, five people a day, and care. Just simple opportunities. Just don't walk around with your head down all the time. Just, just And sometimes, you know what happens life so often, and I think the devil, to be honest, I think so often life and the devil just throw so many curveballs at you, your head's down, you're not looking up, you're not aware of anyone else just because of your stuff. And I get it, I honestly get it. But if you just keep your chin up and just keep your eyes open and be alert to the opportunities that God might bring your way, you never know, you might answer someone else's prayer for their relative. That's exactly what will be happening. And the final point is share, say share. In the Gospels, we find recorded 132 times where Jesus has personal connection with people, interaction. Six of those were in the temple, four of those were in synagogues, but 122 of them were in the streets, in houses, at parties, beside wells, at weddings. You see, Jesus understood that holiness wasn't separation from sinners, it was separation from sin. Jesus didn't wait for us to jump into his world, he radically jumped into our world. He hung out with the drunks, but he never got drunk. Hung out with the, tact, the corrupt tax officials, but he never once was corrupt in any of his financial dealings. He hung out with prostitutes, but never compromised his own moral standards. Jesus understood that this is exactly how you reach people you build the bridge and there comes a point where God's asking us all of us to not just be in a Christian bubble but to have mates who don't know Jesus and make friend time for friendships with people who don't know God and then there's a moment comes where you got to share go and tell just Jesus told the disciples go and tell just be someone who can just have the boldness to go and tell and you know, when you see, whenever you get that opportunity to speak and tell someone about Jesus, I don't know if you're like me, but I feel like I'm fumbling. I feel like I'm not just saying it exactly the way I want to say it. In fact, every time after I have a gospel conversation with someone, I walk away thinking, oh, I should have said this. Oh, if only I'd mentioned that thing there. Anyone done that before? You've had that conversation. I give my wife, right? You've every time. And you think, well, Peter, you're a preacher. What chance do we have? I know. I I I feel like I fumble every time. It's like, oh man, you kind of jumble up your words. You think, oh, I wish I could have said it better. Oh, you remember the answers to the question they had after you leave, all that stuff. I'm with you. But you know, just do it in your own fumbling way like I do and wait and you see what God does through imperfect, because it's not the skill of the farmer. It's the power that's in the seeds. Just communicate about the Savior who died on the cross and rose again, and wait and you to see what God does. Penn Gillette, who is the famous, he's part of the famous double act comic illusionist of Penn and Teller uh, in Las Vegas. Uh, he, he was, he's actually a very outspoken atheist. And there was a fantastic, you can watch the film clip on YouTube. It's a fantastic film clip of him, and he's describing how one day Penn and Teller, he's, uh, Penn or sorry, he, he's, He's a very passionate atheist and he's come out of a show one day and an old gentleman comes up to him and gives him a Bible and tells him, I've been praying for you and I'm asking you, would you please consider reading this because I believe God loves you. And Pendulette, who's an atheist, wasn't in the slightest bit offended. And here's what he said about that. He said this, I've always said, you know, that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. He doesn't respect people who keep their faith to themselves. He doesn't respect people who don't believe enough that they want to share it. He said, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell and that people who could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think, well, that's not really worth telling them because it could make it socially awkward. I mean, he says, how much do you have to hate someone not to proselytize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you don't believe it and that truck is bearing down on you, there comes a certain point where I'll tackle you and this is more important than that. Thanks, Pendulette, an atheist. He's absolutely right. If we believe what we believe, I think it would be completely inappropriate not to keep it. Sorry. It would be inappropriate not to keep it to yourself. It's inappropriate to keep it to yourself. <laughs> get out of the way right <laughs> around. Completely inappropriate to keep it to yourself. So, and then also invite them to come and see. So you have opportunities to invite people to church. Thank God you're part of a church that's got tons of cool stuff happening. Um, you know, you, got, you have rappers in your church. Yo that's cool. Invite your friends. The reason so many youth were here on Friday is because friends invited friends. When's the last time you invite someone to church? It might be Christmas event, Easter event. You figure out when's the best time. Bring them along. Don't ask them all the time, they'll avoid you. But find the right times. If you if they're one of your five that you're praying for, they'll be more open than they would have previously to accept your invitation. So invite them to come and see. And finally Ask questions. Questions are an incredibly good way in. Do you know that Jesus, in his ministry, asked 307 questions? Jesus Christ, who knows everything, he asked tons of questions. It was one of the things he did all the time with people, ask questions. What do questions do? Well, first of all, it helps you get to know people. Secondly, questions help you to help them make their own conclusions on things. If, if you just tell them the answer, that won't be as high impact as them discovering their answer through questions. And thirdly, if you're interested in someone, that's what happens when you're asking questions. If you're interested in someone, you become interesting. All right, if, you become, if you're if you interested, you become interesting. A, uh, I think it was Dale Carnegie. Is that the Dunfermline guy? Oh, Andrew Carnegie. Well, the other Carnegie, Dale Carnegie, uh, he, he said this, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by getting other people to be interested in you. You know, a really good question that you can ask, for example, is what do you mean by that? Let me give you an example. How many times have you been in a conversation about faith and the person will say something like, oh, I don't believe in all that faith stuff, because science has disproved it. Anyone heard that before? Hands up. Okay, most of you. What happens in that moment? You kind of feel stumped. You think, oh man, where'd I go with that? Because you might not even be a scientist. You might not even be able to answer that question. Or they might say something like this, well, all religions are kind of basically the same. And it kind of, you you don't know, where'd you go with that? It's like, you feel stumped. Do you know the, the thing about this is that when in a court case someone makes a radical claim, it's up to that person to prove their claim. It, it's, it's the burden of, when, when someone in a court case makes a radical claim, it's on them, the burden of proof is on them. They are the ones who have to make the proof for the claim they've made. Now, see when someone says something like, oh, science has disproved religion, well that's a radical claim. And what Christians do is we feel like we have to disprove them. No no wait a minute. Why are you trying why are you trying to defend it? Let let them prove their case. All right. so, so you just ask them. So what do you mean by that? All right ask them what they mean by that. Now here's the thing what you'll discover in that moment is most people have no clue what they mean by that, okay? They've just heard someone else say it. So they're just saying, "Well, I I don't know." <laughs> Just ask them, what do you mean by that? And actually, some people, to give them the due, they do know what they're talking about. Or when they say, um, you know, all religions are basically the same, you could ask them, wow, in, in what way are all religions basically the same? And just, just ask them, instead of you jumping in there and feeling like, man, I've got to prove the point. No, no, they're not, and here's why, and the uniqueness of Christianity and all that. I mean, you know all that stuff, great. But help them navigate it themselves. Just ask them questions. And as you ask questions, it's a way that God will open up their hearts to realizing the truth. So pray, help me, pray, care, share. Take every opportunity you absolutely can. Vine in Dunfermline. Amen. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth Has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. And he says, And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Have you ever wondered? So, when Jesus said that, And surely I'll be with you always to the very end of the age, what did he do next? He left them. (laughs) I'm going to be with you, not leave you. I'm with you always and then he leaves him. There's a bit of a contradiction there, right? I'm never gonna leave you. Then he floats off. You do that floating away thing. What did he mean? What did he mean? I'm gonna be with you always, when he just went and left us. Well, what he meant is he's gonna be with us in the most profound way because the Holy Spirit came and filled us. So what we have is this. The one with all authority has commissioned you into his world. And finally, the one with all authority has taken up residence in your life by the power of his Holy Spirit to give you the power to get this message out. I mean, how can you fail? You have the backing of the one with all authority and he's, he's with you as you go and do it. So vine, dam, pray, care, share. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for uh, your goodness. Jesus, thank you so much for this message of the gospel. You died on the cross to save people like us and you rose again to save people like us. And we're so grateful to you but for that. God, thank you that this has made it possible for anyone to come to know you, to come into a living relationship with you. And God, we, we see all around Dunfermline, we see all around Fife, precious people, who to be honest, are, are like we just, we used to be. They're like, just like we used to be. Walking around, ignoring God and doing their thing. But God, you love them. Your heart aches for them. And my prayer is, God, that our hearts would ache for the people that your heart aches for. That, Lord God, you would, you would get under the skin of our hearts, Lord God, that we would really feel it. That we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be comfortable at people not knowing you. That we would, we would feel a holy discomfort, Lord, we pray. And God, I pray that this would be a church, God, that knows how to pray, care, share. That we'd be passionate, Lord God, about just doing the simple, just praying. Very simply, just praying every day. And then doing everything we can when we have opportunities just, just to care. Just to be the ones who step up. When we see someone falling over or carrying luggage or needing a lift, we're the ones who are right in there. And then when we can, we would share. Please don't let us miss those moments. Give us more opportunities, God, God. Give us divine appointments, we pray. In fact, we pray for our loved ones, God. We ask, God, that you bring people into their lives who can share with them. God, would you speak through us, mighty God, the one with all authority, by the power of your spirit, would we have the privilege of helping people to find Jesus just one life at a time? Just keep your eyes closed. I want to give you an opportunity this morning. God is here, and he really loves you. If you don't yet have a relationship with God, I'm so thrilled that you came to church today. That's really, really great. But God wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. As you've heard, Jesus died for you on the cross. That's how serious he takes you, and that's how serious your sin is. You are a sinner. You need saved, and Jesus did it for you. He's made it possible for you to be forgiven and have a whole new life and relationship with God. He's risen from the dead and he wants to be your savior. If that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I want that today, then just under your breath, this is your moment. Under your breath, pray this prayer with me, just one line at a time. Say, dear Lord God, I thank you so much for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross. I know that I am a sinner and I need saved. Thank you for rising from the dead. And thank you you're alive right now. God, please forgive me. Save me. Come into my life and change me. In fact, I commit myself to you today. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Oh God, thanks for hearing my prayer and accepting me into your family. Keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer, I want to pray for you wherever you are in the room. In order to know who I'm praying for, where everyone else's eyes are closed. If you prayed that prayer, and that to you for you today, that was either the first time you've prayed the prayer, or you know you've been wandering away, and today you're saying, "I'm coming back today." Then just quickly slip your hand in the air, then pop it down again, and I'll pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? Just quickly raise your hand.